0: Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? It is time to live in victory. Come on, one more time. It's time to live in victory. I am tired of living under the shadow. How about you? Tired of living under the cloud. It's time to live in victory. Can we play a game this morning? Just kind of get get the wheels turning a little bit. Kind of turn the camera on in your mind. Picture in your mind the guy that everybody loves to hate. Don't look at him. What are you looking at him for? Come on. you got it? Oh, yeah, this is the guy that everybody loves to hate. He's, everything goes right for this guy. He, he lives in the biggest house, makes the biggest salary, drives the nicest car. His wife is a model. You, you know the guy, right? You know who this guy is. He, he just His kids get straight A's, and you want to burn your kid's report card before anybody sees them. I mean, you know the guy, right? He plays lotto once, and he wins $80 million. That's the guy. Everybody got him? Got him? Hello, are you out there? Got him? So now you're driving up 70 and in the distance you see blue lights you know where we're going right and you get as you get closer you recognize this really nice car and you start thinking so you slow down and as you pass you look and sure enough it's him how many of you would silently go (laughs) cha-ching welcome to the wonderful world of envy we're in a series we're calling Breaking Free, and we're talking about this, what's been historically called the seven deadly sins. Those things that, quite honestly, we get caught up in and uh, don't even realize we're caught up in them sometimes until we start paying the price for it. The reason they call them deadly sins is because the wages of sin is death. There's always... death that's introduced when sin resides in our hearts and we don't deal with it. And so what we're doing is we're learning how to deal with those things, recognize them before we pay a huge price, and then make sure that we're purging ourselves, breaking free from that pattern. You've got the graphic. You see what the graphic's been all this time? Below the surface, you've got these roots that are there that's holding you down. That's the root of sin that's holding you down. And then what we're doing is we're learning to break free into the light, break free from those things that are holding us down in order that we can, in fact, live in victory. That's not just a slogan. It's not just an idea. It becomes a reality in our So what we've been doing throughout the series, we're kind of finishing up next week, but we've been trying to make the point that as long as you continue to be influenced by this culture or as long as you continue to operate in a feel, act, think, this is how I feel, I'm going to act on my feelings and think about it later, as long as you do those things, this is the default setting. This is what happens as we get caught up in this stuff and we pay a price for it. So we're trying to get very intentional about recognizing these patterns in our lives and deciding, I don't want that in my life. The good news is 1 Corinthians 10 makes it clear, God always provides a way out. Say it with me, God always provides a way out. One more time, God always provides a way out. Today, of course, we're talking about envy, so let's get into it. Paul makes it clear that envy is a choice and we have to make a choice. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 and 6. You can uh, use the Bridge NC app if you want to and pull up the notes. The, all the scriptures are there and the points that I'll be making are there. You can take your own notes by saving it to your journal. You can email me this week at info And I'm tickled because we're actually getting emails from outside the state, outside the country saying, send us those notes. We're using this for research on our own lives as we're growing. And as Pastor James mentioned this morning, people coming to Christ through the online ministries we're excited about what God is doing around the world. Galatians chapter five, here we go. Verses 25 and six, read it with me. One, two, three, go. If we are living now by the Spirit's power, then let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Then we won't need to look for honors and popularity, which lead to envy and hard feelings and we'll spend a lot of time on that but let's make sure we're clear it's another one of those you hear me talk about it a lot one another one of those if then equations in scripture if this is true then that's then this is what's going to happen and so what's the if part of that equation it's if you'll live by the power of the Holy Spirit and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, then the result is you don't have to do all this stuff that leads to envy and hard feelings. You won't need that stuff because you have the power of the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Holy Spirit operating in your lives. That's the book ends on the message today. We're going to come back to that for a minute. But right now, I want to make sure that we understand why this is such a big deal and then what are we going to do to get out of So let's start with the definition, okay? Envy can be defined in lots of different ways, but here's my favorite uh, definition. Uh, One, two, three, read it with me. Envy is resenting God's goodness in others' lives and ignoring God's goodness in my own. The Fact is, anytime you struggle with one or the other, you're gonna wind up struggling with both. So does anybody agree with me that envy is a real problem? I heard one, sure heads like this is that an issue is it an issue in schools do do kids get envious of one another's clothes and cars they drive and athletic ability and and grades is is envy an issue for our school kids yeah yeah how about work any professional jealousies at work or 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 stab each other in the back to get promotions kind of stuff at work You you ever seen that happen oh not in your workplace of course but other people's workplace how about siblings any any sibling rivalries you've ever seen I mean, the Bible's full of those. The beginning of time, Cain killed Abel and Jacob and Esau and R- Leah and Rachel and Larry, Moe, and Curly, who were sitting right back there. I talked to the ladies this morning. That's how they identified themselves. Hey, ladies. Uh, so good to see you guys this morning. But how about, how about church? Is envy an issue in church? Not in our church, of course. But some churches have cliques. <gasps> Some churches have power struggles. Who gets to be in charge? What? No, not church. Are you kidding me? I mean, the reality is that envy is a real issue in every part of our lives. The question that comes to my mind is, why is it one of Satan's favorite tools? And I think the Bible actually gives us three answers to that question. Now, let me tell you what they are, and we're going to get into the how we break free stuff. First of all, envy causes conflicts. Going to get an amen in the room. James 4.1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Desires like resenting somebody else's blessing or ignoring God's blessings in your own? Sure. You ever seen a good friendship break down because one friend got some stuff, got a promotion, got some stuff, and the other didn't, and it got awkward? You ever seen that happen? Let me ask it another way. When you were kids, did anybody ever play King on the Mountain? Yeah. The problem is we grow up and we keep playing king on the mountain. It's just our games get more expensive and the bruises get deeper. That's all that happens. Number two, envy makes us miserable. Proverbs fourteen thirty: A heart at peace gives life to the body, but what does envy do? It rots the bones. Pastor Jim paraphrase, envy is a parasite that sucks the marrow right out of your bones. Somebody gets a blessing, Satan starts whispering in your ear, it's not fair, he gets all the Blessings, it gets all the breaks. How come it always happens to them and not to me? Why is he always the lucky one? Why does she get that stuff? And before you know it, envy starts feeling these feeding these feelings, and you start feel act thinking instead of think act feeling. And the feelings ultimately rot your bones and make you miserable in the long run. The third one is the bottom line though, and that is that envy sets the stage for all the other deadly sins that we've been talking about throughout the series, James chapter 3, verse 16, for where you find envy, there you find disorder and what? Every evil practice. Pastor Jim paraphrased failure to get a handle on on envy often leads to one of the other seven deadly sins. Is that true? Is it true? Well, let's talk about a couple of them. How about pride? Can envy feed pride? Got two kids talking? My dog's better than your dog. You remember that one? Or my dad can beat up your dad. So? So can my mom. What's the big deal? (laughs) How about, you didn't see that one coming, did you? Lust. How about lust? You, You know when lust gets a hold, we'll talk about this in detail more next week, but you know when lust gets a hold? It's when you stop seeing your spouse or your singleness as a blessing from God. How about greed? Yeah, when you become ungrateful for the things that God has blessed you with, you start thinking enough is never enough. How about wrath? Sure, we all know the story of the cheerleader cheerleader mom who who was frustrated and became jealous and envious of the cheerleader who got the squad and her daughter didn't and plotted to kill the girl simply because she made the squad over her daughter. I mean, the reality is envy uh, just creates all kinds of, Situations that lead to sin. The bottom line is envy is a sin that sets us up for all these other sins and the wages of sin is death. So how do you overcome it? I just wanted to tell you that so you would lean in to the solution. How do we overcome it? How do we break free? And I think there are five dynamics mentioned in scripture that'll help you to begin to deal with envy in your life. I put them all with the, with the letter R just to help you remember them. So I call them the five R's of overcoming uh, envy. Let's just get into it and see if we can unpack this as quickly as we can and go from this place free from this One of the seven deadly sins. Number one is you got to resist comparing yourself to others. I've got to resist comparing myself to others. Galatians chapter six, verse four, each person should judge his own actions and not what? Compare himself with others others. Why? Because as soon as you start comparing yourself with somebody else, you're either going to get proud or discouraged. You're going to get proud because you're doing better or discouraged because you aren't doing as well. Then nobody is exactly the same and operating exactly the same. Comparing then is at the heart of envy. I still remember uh, 50 none of your business years ago, the first time this reared its ugly head in my life, I was Twelve was living in Charlotte, North Carolina at the time, and I got for Christmas a brand new red Schwinn 26-inch bicycle. Ah, uh-huh. I'm talking a bicycle. I, some of you are not gonna have a clue what I'm talking about. Some of you will start drooling when I start describing it. It had high-rise handlebars with tassels it had a banana seat, a white banana seat on this red bicycle, and I had little playing cards with with uh, clothespins on the spokes, so that when I went down the road, it sounded like a motorcycle. And I could pop a wheelie on that thing, get your motor running, head out on the highway. You know, then I was tough stuff. I was the bee's knees, you know, until. I saw what Roy Hawkins, my friend across the street, got for Christmas. He got the same bike, with the same handlebars, with the same banana seat, But he got a generator that rolled on his front tire that ran a headlight, and I didn't get that. I didn't want to be seen with Roy anymore because I knew as soon as we went riding down the road together, we were best buds. We went everywhere together. Suddenly I don't want to go because everybody's going to compare his bike to mine and his, better, his bike's better than mine and I don't want to be seen with him and he doesn't understand what's going on. So he starts wondering why I'm pulling away. He eventually gets mad at me and before you know it, I've lost a great friendship. We moved away. I've not seen Roy Hawkins since then. Roy, if you're watching, I'm sorry, dude. (laughs) If you want to avoid the high cost of envy, you got to take those comparative thoughts captive as soon as they rise up. The second R is you've got to recognize your uniqueness. I have to recognize my uniqueness. Psalm 139, 13 and 14, you made my whole being. You formed me in my mother's body. I praise you because you made me in an amazing and wonderful way. You've heard the expression, boy, when they made him, they broke the mold. You've heard that one? There ain't no mold. There never was a mold. Every one of us were handmade by God in our mother's womb. You're not one in a million. You're one in 7.8 billion. We are uniquely made. There will never be another Jim Wall. Who said, thank you, Lord? Who said that over there? (laughs) ERT guys, come take him out. (laughs) Truth is, there'll never be another you because we are all as unique as a snowflake, as unique as a fingerprint, as unique as an igram, as unique as a cardiogram. Every one of us is absolutely unique. The point I'm trying to make simply is that envy is often an expression of inferiority and insecurity. It says I'm insecure about who I am. I ran across a, a little cartoon the other day that I thought was cute, thought I'd share with you because it illustrates it so very well. This guy writes, ever since I was a little kid, I didn't want to be me. I wanted to be Billy Whitaker. And Billy Whitaker didn't even like me. He walked. I walked like he walked. I talked like he talked. I signed up for classes that he signed up for, which is when Billy Whitaker changed. He began to hang around Verby Hank Vanderman, and he walked like Herbie Vanderman, and he talked like Herbie Vanderman, and he mixed me up. I began to walk and talk like Billy Whittaker, walking and talking like Herbie Vanderman until it dawned on me that Herbie Vanderman walked and talked like Joey Haverland and Joey Haverlin walked and talked like Corky Sabinson. So here I am walking and talking like Billy Whittaker's imitation of Herbie Vanderman's version of Joey Haverlin trying to walk and talk like Corby, Corky Sabinson. And do you know who Corky Sabinson is always walking and talking like? Of all people, Dopey Kenny Wellington, that little pissed walks and talks like me. (laughs) Simple truth is, we're all just a little bit insecure, but when you let those insecurities rise, envy is going to come in it. So if you want to avoid the high cost of of anxiety and envy, the the, the anxiety that envy creates, then you got to learn to accept your uniqueness. Hear me, nobody in the world is just like you, and the world needs you to be you. You see, God didn't just make you unique. he, He did it on purpose, with a purpose. Go back to Psalm 139, verse 16 this time. You saw me before I was born and scheduled every day of my life before I began to breathe. Simply put, God made a plan for your life and it is a plan for your fulfillment and the betterment of the world where you live to make a difference. But to do that, it requires the use of all of the gifts and all of the talents and all the opportunities and all of the relationships that he's given to you funneled into God's purpose for your life. And when you do, then you accomplish amazing things bigger than you ever dreamed you could or would um, which brings fulfillment and satisfaction and praise but you will never do that as long as you're trying to be somebody else you you never get there as long as you're trying to be somebody else the world needs you to be you got it Let let me put it bluntly You're gonna stand before God one day and you're gonna give an account. I mean, there are two tests in the final accounting that all of us are gonna make before God. Test number one is what did you do about my son, Jesus Christ? Did you put your faith in what Jesus did for you on Calvary? Yes, I did. Then you're welcome in heaven. Second question, what did you do with the talents and gifts and abilities and uniqueness that I gave you? What did you do with that? To make a difference in this world, that determines the level of rewards and authority and responsibility that you get in heaven. Heaven is not sitting on a cloud playing playing a harp for all eternity. I mean, who wants to do that? Ten minutes and I'm looking around something to do. (laughs) Heaven is, is accomplishment. It's doing amazing kinds of things. But the only way you get to the level that you could, the scriptures say, if you've been faithful in a few things, I'll make you ruler over many Things. If you wanna overcome envy and the cost that's associated with it, I've got to resist comparing myself to other people and I gotta recognize my uniqueness and, and embrace it, okay? Which leads us to the third thing and that is rejoice in what I already have. Rejoice in what I have. Ever, ever been so concerned with what you don't have that you forgot to be grateful for what you do? Sit real still, nobody will know. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 verse 9, it's better to see what you have than to want more. Wanting more is useless like chasing the wind. He's saying that your fulfillment, your satisfaction in life, your happiness in life is not based in acquisition or accomplishment or getting the next hill or conquering the next thing. I mean, you see a guy and you find yourself going more. if I had what he has, then I'd finally be fulfilled. I'd finally be satisfied. What you don't realize is he's thinking the same thing about you and both of you are wrong just isn't true the Apostle Paul said it this way in Philippians 4:11 I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance no I don't know how much you know about Paul and his life I won't go into whole biography here but put succinctly Paul grew up in privilege. Paul was a citizen of Rome. He went to the best university, learned at the feet of Gamaliel. He he was probably a member of the Sanhedrin at one point. I mean, this guy was prominent, wealthy, uh, and had it all. But by the time he's writing the New Testament, he's an itinerant tent maker. He's traveling the world making tents for a living while he starts churches. And he's, so when he says, I've learned to be content in every circumstance, in every situation, he's talking about, I've been at both ends of the spectrum and I've learned to be content wherever I was in that journey. But there's a key word in that. Do you see the key word in that? I learned to be content. That tells me that contentment doesn't come naturally. In fact, we all have areas of discontentment. True? True don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. People with curly hair want straight hair and people with straight hair want curly hair and come on. People that are large want to be small and people that are small want to be large. When Kim and I got to the Philippines, first thing we saw was Filipinos. They would go down on the beach and they would carry an umbrella. We're laying out on the beach trying to get some sun and they're carrying an umbrella to keep the sun from hitting them and they think we're crazy. We think they're crazy. What in the world? It's just kind of the way the world is. I shot. I don't know if you guys saw it. Many of you did, I'm sure. But I shot a quick video this week. Just felt like the Lord dropped a word in my spirit that I needed to share. Just a little, two minutes or less thing uh, about uh, about quitting. And and so I shot that. And, And uh, Julie put it on our our Facebook page this week. Last time I looked, I was just out of curiosity, I looked, there's close to 2,000 people have watched that little video now on three continents. I mean, it's just this phenomenal thing that God has done with this silly little, uh, what I believe was a word from the Lord for some people, comments. I uh, had just dozens and dozens. Man, I needed that word. I needed, that was the word for me in this moment. And God did amazing kinds of things, but you know what I did? I'm talking to my nephew on Friday, and, and he saw the video, and he asked me about it, and I pulled it up, and, and I and I saw the number of views, and you'd think I would be blessed by that. You would think I would be tickled that God had used that in wonderful ways to touch a lot of people's lives. You know the only thing I saw? How old I look in that video. I said, Ricky, look at this, man. Look at, look at the wrinkles. Look at the hair. It's so white. How, what in the world? I don't look that old. You know what my nephew's response was? He said, well, you haven't looked in the mirror lately, have you? <laughs> you see, the camera just takes what it sees. <laughs> That's reality. But, you know, instead of celebrating this thing that God has done, and I got to be a little tiny part of it, I'm over here commiserating over something That's just a reality in my life. Don't misunderstand me. Contentment is not about, you know, kind of, it's, uh, you know, lose all desire to achieve or to accomplish or get more. Nobody's saying that. The fact is, ambition is morally neutral. You know what I mean by that? It means ambition in and of itself is neither right nor wrong. Ambition is fine. The question is your motive behind the ambition. And if somehow your ambition is to get more, accomplish more, do more, learn more, whatever else, if somehow you think that ambition is gonna make you feel more fulfilled, more satisfied, more more happy, then you're setting yourself up for envy that we've already established creates all kinds of problems in your life. Nothing wrong. Was seeing and thinking, oh, that guy's accomplished something. I'd love to accomplish that. Nothing wrong with that. Well, that, that person has a really nice home. I'd love to have a nice home like that one day. There's nothing wrong with that. But envy is when you start saying, I don't want him to have that until I can have it. Or I don't, why did they get it and I don't? Because both of those things ultimately create envy, which ultimately eats you alive. The key to contentment then is understand that God has already given you everything you need in this moment to be content, to be fulfilled, to be happy while you work to get more, accomplish more. Nobody's saying stop growing, stop achieving. I'm saying that in itself will never get you the contentment you long for. So Paul says, learn to be content in whatever circumstance you're in, got it? got it? The fourth R is respond to others in love. Now that you've decided I'm not going to compare anymore and I'm really going to start learning to be content, now I'm going to start responding to other people in love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4, simple phrase, read it with me, one, two, three, go. Love does not envy. In other words, you can't envy somebody and love them at the same time. Matthew twenty-two, thirty-nine. 39, love your neighbor as yourself, which is in itself a problem. Work with me for a minute. Think with me for a minute. If I'm feeling insecure, if I'm feeling inferior, if I'm hurting person, and then I'm going to love people as I love myself, which is not very well, what am I going to do to the people in my life? Come on. You, we've all heard the expression, hurting people hurt people. So before you can help the people, before you can love the people, before Jesus can love people through you that are in your life, you got to get healthy yourself. You know, the airplane thing, when they say the masks drop and, and if you're helping somebody, what do you do? You put your own mask on first before you help others. Well, that's not selfish because what you're doing is you're making sure you don't pass out so that you're available to help the person that's with you. That's what we're saying. Sometimes you've got to do these things. You've got to stop comparing. You've got to recognize your own uniqueness. You've got to learn to be content in whatever circumstance you're in. It's not selfish to get healthy emotionally and spiritually healthy as long as you then translate that health into making a difference in the lives of the people that are around you, loving people, whether they're lovable in the moment or not. Let's be honest, guys. It's easy to love lovable people, but we're not called just to love lovable people. We're called to love everybody based on how we love ourselves. Practical application of this principle, then, is Paul's words in Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Read it with me. One, two, three, go. Rejoice with them that rejoice. Weep with them that weep. Envy does the exact opposite. Uh, Envy gets upset when other people rejoice. Envy laughs when other people weep. But healthy Christianity, healthy followers of Jesus Christ, uh, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Can we just get real honest and I'll move on? Sometimes it's easier to weep with people who weep than it is to rejoice with people who rejoice. Hello! don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Because sometimes you see somebody else accomplish something that you could have if you would have, and everything in you goes, I should have been the one to do that. I might have been the one to have that. I could have accomplished that if I would. And instead of rejoicing with other people, you find yourself feeling worse about yourself, but the Bible is clear. Weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. Let me let you in on a little secret. You will never, you will never, 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 ever, never. Did I say never? You will never find all the joy that you need for fulfillment in your life through what happens in your life alone. I got one amen over here. Maybe I need to say it again. You will never find fulfillment and satisfaction and happiness in your life from the joy that only you experience in your life. You've got to learn to celebrate the joy in other people's lives before you can actually be fulfilled in your own. If you can't learn to rejoice with people that rejoice, you're going to miss out on a whole lot of joy all of your life lives. People ask me all the time, say, Pastor, how how do you stay so up? You know, I kind of thought it was. One guy said, "You know, I kind of thought it was a show." But after a few years, I'm thinking this is just this is who you are. How do you stay up all the time? So, well, how can I not? When I look around me and I see the blessings all around me, I'm blessed. Yeah, I'm blessed. I get this amazing wife. I get these wonderful kids and grandkids. I've got health at my age. I got passion to do what it is that I love to do. But not just the joy in my life. I get to watch you. I get to watch you guys. We got a dozen people in the middle of a COVID pandemic in ownership class this weekend. The church is growing that's exciting to me people getting saved like pastor james talked about this morning water baptism is coming up on the 26th we're going to watch people celebrate their new life in jesus christ while we worship our god together i see people being healed i mean how can i not be joyful when i look around and i see the amazing things that god is doing but as long as you're limiting your joy to the good things that happen in your life you're never going to find the fulfillment that you seek. So learn to weep sincerely with others who weep. Learn to rejoice sincerely when others rejoice. The fifth one, and I'll close, is refocus your attention on what's eternal, not temporary. Colossians chapter three, verse two, set your mind on things Above, not earthly things. Pastor Jim paraphrase, start looking at your life from God's perspective. Have you ever noticed that most of what we envy is temporary? The stuff we get envious about isn't going to, I mean, you know, somebody got a promotion that we didn't get or somebody gets an office perk that we don't have or or somebody gets applause that we didn't receive. Those are the things that we tend to to get envious about, none of which is going to last. Again, it's not wrong to achieve, get rewards or awards, but hear me, don't live for it. Don't resent others when they get them. Don't ignore the blessings in your own life. Mostly don't ever forget the key to overcoming envy in your life is, and all, this, all the sins for that matter is to get your focus off the temporary and get it on the eternal. Start living for the audience of one. His name is Jesus Christ. When you do, competition becomes an interesting pastime you begin to realize that the things you're working for have nothing to do with who you are. Your net worth and your self-worth are completely separate items. It doesn't matter who gets the perks at the office because it's not going to matter a hill of beans in 100 years anyway. Well, I hear you, Jim, but, but that just sounds hard. I mean, life isn't fair sometimes. And you know what I say to that? You're right. It's not. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, once you give your life to Jesus, everything's going to be fair from now on. That's just, this is earth. This isn't heaven. We aren't there yet. God never said everything would be fair. God's will is not always done on earth as it is in heaven, while else did he pray, thy will be done on earth like it's done in, in heaven. Sometimes the bad guy wins, temporarily. Sometimes the dishonest get away with it for a while proverbs 23 17 and 18 don't envy sinners but always respect the lord then you will have hope for the future in other words simply put don't waste your time worrying about what's fair and not fair in this world the books haven't been closed yet the accounts haven't been called yet The bottom line hasn't been totaled yet. One day God will settle the score. So between now and then, what do you do? You focus on the one who loves you unconditionally and consistently and eternally. You focus on the one who sent his son to pay for your sins on a rugged cross on Calvary. Uh, The one who, who started this church and churches like it all across the world who are bringing a message of hope and grace and love. The one who has prepared an amazing place called heaven for you and for me and all of that may sound cliche I suppose preachers say that kind of stuff all the time but understand when you finally begin to understand that God will settle the score one day and he's in a far better position to know the truth of what's happened and to settle that score appropriately uh, when people with with less character and less commitment and less honesty Uh, somehow managed to get ahead of you in line, you can rise above it because you know that you're living for an audience of one and your future is bright and secure. God will take care of your future and theirs. Your job, simply, is resist comparing, recognize your uniqueness, rejoice in what God has already blessed you with, Respond to others in love and then refocus your attention on things that eternally matter. As I thought about sharing these simple truths with you this weekend, the thought rolled through my mind. Forgive me if this is emotional, but it's very personal and yet I feel compelled to share it with you. Kim and I are coming up on the anniversary of our oldest son going to heaven. Andrew was an amazing man of God. Wonderful musician, worship leader, great husband, father, friend. At his funeral service, the pastor of Community Church in Virginia did the funeral in he said I asked our worship pastor because he and Andrew worked together so much I asked him if there was a song that summed up Andrew's life and the worship pastor said sure without hesitation it is well with my soul he went on to say that if Andrew had written that song he would have said it is well with my soul everything else is stupid that's, that's my Drew. In other words, if it's well with my soul, what, what could all this other stuff matter? It's just stupid. It's just stuff. And if it's not well with my soul, then what does all this stuff matter? It's just stupid. At the end of the day, if a man gained the whole world and loses his soul, Everything else is stupid. So you wanna overcome envy? Wanna break free from that trap that leads to so many other traps? Resist comparing. Recognize your uniqueness. Rejoice in what God's already blessed you with and respond to everybody around you in love, starting with yourself and a love relationship with God, and then refocus your attention on eternal things particularly the one who paid the price for your sin and watch the grip of envy melt in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you always give us solutions. You provide a way out. You love us enough to tell us the truth about the price tag of sin, but you always show us the path to break free. The end of the day, you don't wanna be the cosmic killjoy hitting us over the head with an eternal stick. You wanna be the loving father that says, come follow me, here's the, safe path. Here's the healthy path. Here's the path to break free from that junk. Thank you for sending your son to make up the difference between what we're capable of and what life calls on us to do. Thank you that we can call on the name of Jesus Christ at any time and he will welcome us into the family. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us that much. Keep your heads bowed for just a second. Maybe when you got here today, it never occurred to you, you were wrestling with this thing called envy, but having thought about it a little bit, you know there's some of that junk going on. And you don't want it to hold you down. You wanna break free. Would you pray a simple prayer with me? Would you join me in that really simple prayer? Just praying back what we said. Keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just me you and God for a minute. Lord, I commit to resist comparing. Lord, thank you for making me unique. I commit to discover that uniqueness, celebrate it, and use it to make a difference in me to rejoice with what you've already blessed me with while I rejoice with the people around me who have blessings. Help me respond to them in love no matter how they're acting toward me. I commit to keep my eyes on you Lord instead on stuff that doesn't eternally matter. In Jesus' name Father, you know who's praying, you know what's going on in their hearts right now. I pray that you would give them the confident assurance that as they've confessed, you've forgiven, they get a fresh start today. And I thank you in advance for the fulfillment that comes because of it. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said together,